thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory, the only podcast that castrates your ears. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by Todd McGowan. Todd, how are you doing, buddy? Did you like the line? I liked that new edition. Good to talk to you. <laughs> it's good to talk to you, too. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, what are we talking about today? I think we're going to talk about new materialism, and, and it, mm-hmm. it's often, so there's kind of variations on it, so sp- often known as speculative realism or... Mm-hmm. Object-oriented ontology, but basically uh, vibrant matter. So all these yeah, kinds yeah, yeah. of new forms of materialism mm-hmm. that have cropped up in opposition to theory. I guess is one way to think mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> Which is the setting the situation for why uh, we're talking about it because they they do often use uh, the you know people and the ideas that uh, that, that we often uh, refer to, but there's like a little bit of a twist on it, and I think that showing what other people do with uh, these ideas and then like in negation showing where like the, I don't know, uh, like showing the, like the psychoanalytic torsion, right? Like the, yeah. the like the, like the, like the twist it puts on it and then what it means in, uh, to twist it back toward a more like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say a more psychoanalytic angle, but, or, or a more Hegelian, but just, just like, Maybe to, to move it back to a more, um, I think you would probably say theoretical uh, approach, like like more speculative. Like I always think that's really funny about like a speculative realism is that I, it doesn't seem all that speculative. It's not very speculative to, yeah. to me. Yeah, and yeah. I, so I so that's that's the word that that I like to reclaim is that I, I think that theory always involves a, a step toward speculation, and and I think that like that's what we're kind of gonna do in this this episode is to show what it means to like to move back and what's at stake in that move. Like it's not. You know, it's not just as simple as like these people are right, these people are wrong, but it's like really like the the um, the the why of what you know how certain ideas work right. is sort of I think at stake here. Right, definitely. I mean, it's interesting that they have they. I mean, I, I, we're going to use the term they <laughs> to cover a bunch of people who probably wouldn't yeah. like to be grouped together as a they, but that's you yeah. know they can do a podcast and call us they and group us with people that we don't want to be grouped with. But yeah, um, that's true. It's just, true. It's just well, the this nature was the oh. Oh, on this, you know, I, I just saw somebody had a um, a question about I think is relevent for your comment is that um, uh, you, you and I are both of the opinion that there is no such thing as post-structuralism. And that's not like a cute turn of Lacanian phrase. It's just that everyone who gets grouped together, like no two of them would really agree. No, right. Like, right, that's like right, sort of, right. We are going to do an episode on that, though, because I think that's worth talking about this idea. It's definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the 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 initial part of the idea. It's, it's a it's a total like uh, like American uh, invention bottling. Yeah. 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 yeah of a, of a, a, a group of uh, people that are really of, disparate. But anyway, I don't think yeah, these people yeah, anyway, are that yeah. disparate, but that's just probably my perspective. But anyway, so the. Yeah. the What's interesting is they've abandoned that term speculative. So they, they came together mm. around that term, a group of them, and, and this idea of speculative realism. And then now it's kind of evolved or devolved. That's me. Evolved. Well, then let's reclaim speculative. Yeah, I think that. that's fair. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Speculative is on our side. So, yeah. um, it's, But it's evolved into these things like... Um, vibrant matter or, or which is a term from Jane Bennett or any mm-hmm. kind of new materialism or object oriented ontology. I mean, that's the big, right. that's, that's the, big, the one. big one today, I think. And I, I, even though I don't know how many people claim that moniker, but the, the people mm-hmm. that claim it, claim it so vociferously that it's, it seems like it's, mm. it's pretty widespread. So it's hard to say like where, 
like to what extent that's a huge thing within contemporary thinking or to what extent it's just a, a few people that are very loud within contemporary Yeah, thinking? I mean that the internet just kind of makes everything like it just it it, it distorts the uh the the volume of, of like pretty much anything. That's true, I although think. you know yeah. some of the people that we're close to like Slavoj and Alenka Zupanchic, they spend a lot of time critiquing these these figures like Graham Harmon especially. So it does seem like it's at least they have like if people people at least feel like they're worth being critiqued. So I think that in that yeah. sense that they're part of the contemporary I don't know atmosphere or, or milieu that needs to yeah, be commented I, on. I mean we're at a like uh, there are times where I, I think that um if we were in uh Europe we would feel the theoretical situation differently. You know, like, like, and, and maybe that's one of them. I don't know. Yeah. Like, and maybe we'd feel it even more because the name, yeah. so just to get, we'll do a little history of it quickly. Like the, yeah. the, the, the founding, the parent figure of it is this guy named Canton Mayasu. Quentin mm-hmm. is his name in English. Um, but he's, um, he wrote a book called After Finitude, Après la Finitude mm-hmm. in uh, 2006. And then it got translated pretty quickly. So it was, it was, there was a sense that it was a real mm-hmm. phenomenon. And then, mm-hmm. a, you know, American publisher picked it up. And, and his claim was that it was basically a critique of what he called the Kantian transcendental. And, and this whole mm-hmm. notion that representation uh, shapes what we're experiencing. So, that, that, mm-hmm. so it was an, against all kinds of the whole tradition of basically post-Kantian Kant and post-Kantian thought that sees a distinction between things that as they appear or phenomenon and then a, mm-hmm. a other realm of things in themselves. And Mayasu's claim is that we can actually have direct, we can talk about and have direct access to mm-hmm. things in themselves, which, and his proof right. for this is interesting. The book begins with a, um, uh, the, the idea of, of carbon dating and that the fact yeah, okay. that, do you know this, that, 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 that fossils that we know ex- that existed prior to any humanity so he thinks mm-hmm. that that proves that transcendentalism is wrong because there were no humans there. I mean, it's a kind of a crazy, like <laughs> you're, you want to you want to yeah. say like, well, you've kind of missed the point. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. still, mm-hmm. even though the fossil was there, like the way the the point of even Kantian the Kantian idea is that the way we relate to it epistemologically yeah. is it's not that it like Kant doesn't think that there was a universe prior to humans i mean he's he's not an yeah. idiot like it's just so it's a strange kind of a it's a str- well isn't it like strange starting isn't point it a, sorry yeah yeah no 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 isn't it just a little bit like um like a twist on the like if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it doesn't make a sound it's kind of more like if a tree falls in the forest and no one knows what a tree is like like it, that's just a different happening, isn't it? Like there's right. no like, like there's, there's no word for tree. Then like like then we're we're in a different we're in a different total uh, uh, milieu. And then like the uh, and and that's I don't know. Like like it's it's to it's kind of I don't know. To like like to me, I mean, like I don't know where, where you come down in this, but like it, it does seem like a little bit of like so like before making claims about um, life uh, a life of uh, of of language. And of signifiers and a time that is pre-signification seems like you, you, you're, you've like 
distorted the playing field. You kind of uh, missed the whole bit. point, right? Like, but, yeah, but okay, yeah. we, we're getting to the critique maybe too soon. But sure, sorry, sorry. I sorry, know sorry, I started yeah. it, but but, <laughs> the, the, but the idea is that, and so the, the so this is so that's the idea, and so that's his starting yeah. point, and then all the other thinkers that follow in his wake. They, they engage in this, what they call a flat ontology. So it's a, re- a right. radical flattening of, which illuminates what they think is, what's, what's known as, to them, the subject's exceptionality and the subject's transcendence. So they think mm-hmm. the subject is just another object, and it should be talked about right. just like another, every other object, and it shouldn't have any special privilege. And you can see how this kind of fits with, uh, you know, environmental concerns right yeah. like yeah 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 Latour like there's a lot of people who who, who Latour is a um Bruno Latour a, yeah yeah Bruno Latour yeah is a big um uh touchstone for who do like a uh, eco work right and his so, he and, wrote a book on the environment called Facing Gaia and it's basically a lot of it is this like eliminating the mm-hmm. privilege of subjectivity and he thinks that mm-hmm. that would radically change our way of you know, relating to environment and, and, and think he thinks it's a, a possible solution to environmental crisis. We'll, we'll save your critique because I, I can see you have both <laughs> barrels <laughs> ready to Yeah, open. no, I, I maybe need to, it needs to be more pedagogical before. Okay. So, the, the, so yeah, then yeah. there are other guys, uh, you know, so I mentioned Jane Bennett and she talks about the way in which humanity and non-humanity always exist on the same plane. So that's her. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, um, there, and then, What's tied to this is that she says, I believe in she, so the, the last line of her book, which is called Vibrant Matter, says, she goes, I believe in one matter energy, the maker of all things seen and unseen. And it's a funny kind of echo of the Nicene Creed. So it's like, <laughs> it's like, a, yeah. you know, it's like a, a, a rejection of Christian transcendence in the, but it, it mm-hmm. repeats some kind of weird uh, it repeats it in this weird kind of way, so that's interesting. And then, and then the main guy today is this guy Graham Harmon, who mm-hmm. wrote a book called Ob- Object Oriented an Object Oriented Ontology: A New Theory of Everything. So it's very grandiose. And Harmon himself appears on the internet quite a bit, and and on mm-hmm. YouTube quite a bit. And his idea is that the main idea for Harmon, and this is a fascinating idea, is that objects, of course, objects have the same status as subjects, right? There's no privilege of the subject. But then he mm-hmm. claims that all objects, and he says something like, all objects have to be given equal attention, so subject doesn't get the priority. But mm-hmm. he also thinks, uh, we know that objects do not ever interact with each other. So objects are absolute, they're kind of airtight. They don't have mm-hmm. any, so there's a deep, he says there's a deep wedge between objects and each other. So there's no, no objects never touch. So that's a, it's a, you know, I don't know. So we'll have, we have a lot to do with that. So then, yeah. Um, so then there's the hermetics of suspicion. It's a her, yeah, yeah, that's true. So then, then there's another yeah. guy who I think is really good. I just want to mention him briefly and not sure. uh, get into the critique of him. This guy's named Ray, Ray Brassier, and he wrote a book called Neil Unbound, and it's and it's basically about the role that extinction plays mm-hmm. uh, in how we should understand uh, our existence, and it's. It's you know he's grouped he he what so he's now split from Harmon pretty right. vigorously and I think that book is really good and I, I would yeah really, I do too I, I I would recommend it pretty pretty highly and but but it's about the way in which we need to integrate our extinction into our everyday way of thinking which I think is really I think that's really pretty 
profound. And, I think just on just on this real quick, I, I and and this was my 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 thing with with Harmon. It, it's, it's a lot of times when people write about the environment, and this is like actually a critique I would even have of people who approach the uh, environment or ecology through um, psychoanalytic theory yeah. is I, I think quite often all it is is just a new way to understand the subject and it, it is nothing about the environment it, like, like ever. But it's interesting because that's what, that's what the object oriented environmentalists or the materialist environmentalists, like a guy like Timothy Morton, right? Like, sure. Like I think that's what he's critiquing, right? Like he's trying yeah, to, yeah. yeah. So how is he guilty of that? So, well, how, because I, I, I just think that I, I, to me, so yeah. where I think, um, you said Brazier because I'm, an, uh, I'm, I'm a Philistine and I would have said Brazier. I don't, I Brazier, Brazier, that's probably right. I, I just, I turned him into a French guy, but he's probably not, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. I, I think, I think that, um, the difference is that what Brazier does is he puts the situation of the environment in the subject. Whereas I think most other studies are the other way around. Yeah, that's really good. And, and yeah, can you go yeah, just unpack and, and, that a little bit? Because I think that's really yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. So I think that, and th- this is why, um, uh, th- this is why I think that Brazier's book is is, is really stunning, is because to uh, he has these he has these really great lines about like, like t- to really understand in not a nihilist not not a nihilistic way, but I mean it's it's I mean it is nihilistic, but not in the normal way of thinking understanding nihilism. nihilism. Yeah. yeah, but that like. In the end, none of this will have mattered. I think there's a line that he he has yeah. uh, in there it is like to really think about that, and then you you incorporate that into your into your your subjectivity. Like that that's that changes that that is to change how you interact with the world, and that changes how you see the world. Is it's not a canvas upon which you can paint your life. It is a thing that it like it it actually it actually doesn't give a shit about you. And it's it, it it and it's we're going to be extinct upon it, and like 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 that that kind of I, I think that kind of um that that sort of realization is such a it's such a radical one. I've said this to you before that like to 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 properly address the environmental crisis, like you we, what we have to, and I think maybe I was inspired by Ray Brazier. What we have to admit is that we can do actually do nothing about it. Yeah, that's and pretty because great. I. Because I see all these things, like even on like like CNN. This was months ago. They were like, "Is 2030 too soon for climate change?" And I'm just like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. And then I I also see things online that's like, "Well, by 2050 we'll have this amount of carbon." And I'm like, "So you know there's a 2050? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, like and I, and to me I think this is I, to me this is this is how I understand Fraser's point. I'm doing it through example. Is that to actually put the extinction of all subjectivity into the subject is is just just changes both subject and environment. Right. And I think um, to and I I think that a lot of stuff that deals with the Anthropocene is really just about changing the subject and kind of like elevating the environment to this kind of deific status. So it's it's mystical, um, right? Like it's a mystical. Yeah, th- th- and that would and maybe this is unfair about um uh, about Morton, but that's kind of how I read him. I don't know if that's fair. Yeah, or, that's or, or really not, good. But, I think it's really good. I think that uh Brazier, it's going to be hard for me to start <laughs> so I think, sorry, but, sorry. I had a I had a, this elevated French guy in my in my thought. Um Well, he should still be. He's, uh, right, it's a great book. But yeah. I I just want to say two <laughs> things about that. That that's another way of saying that the other the other does not exist, right? Like that's another yeah, way of yeah, saying yeah. it or mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. substance is subject. Like these 
these terms yeah. from Hegel and Lacan, like that's what he's into. And I, I do want to make one, like one more point that I had this great student, um, she's not the best student I've ever had, but a really great student named Audrey mm-hmm. Furneaux. And mm-hmm. uh, she ended up not, she's like a, I mean, this is no, this is fine. She's like a, a <laughs> she works as a. No, it's not. I'm hearing you trip. This no, 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 no. Like I thought she was going to be like, she was going to go to grad school and then she just, and be a great professor. But she's like a, she works at a local restaurant and she has, you know, she has, she's, she's, she's great. But, um, but, uh, but I. Sound of the truck backing up. No, sorry, no, sorry. no, no, no. She was a great, she was a great student. But I, okay. I remember she was the one, st- like I happened to mention in class. You know, mm-hmm. like there's the heat death of the universe, and from that perspective, yeah. you know, whatever, what do we, you know, what are we doing? And she mm-hmm. came up to me. She came to my office. She's like, I just can't get it out of my mind. The heat death of the universe. Like I just mm-hmm. like the that like tr- integrating that into my thought. Mm-hmm. I've never seen someone before who was just so mm-hmm. like profoundly upset by the idea, which I think is means she mm-hmm. profoundly in, you know in, integrated it into her thinking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that was like because you know obviously physicists talk about it all the time, but they they they're not really talking about it, right? Like they yeah. they haven't integrated it into their thinking in a way that like, and I think uh, it's Ross, an object of study, and when it's an right, object of it's study, object of study, it's, it's not it's part like, it's of you. Distant. And I think that yeah. you're, like what you say about Brassier is really good. Like he he that whole book is about forcing that to come through. So it's it's not surprising, yeah. I guess, mm-hmm. that he ended up breaking from these other object-oriented ontologist because his way of doing it was already not theirs. Like there was already this distinction between the one guy we didn't mention yet is Levi Bryant, who's an interesting figure Mm -hmm. because he started out as a Lacanian psychoanalyst. And Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. he kind of went over. It's funny because he came to the first, we have this LAC conference and he came to the first one and he was there. I didn't know him. And I walked up to him, and I said, and yeah, he had already published his books on a book or two on object. I think it's a called Democracy, Democracy of Objects. Of objects. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I said to him, like, what are you doing? What are you doing here in enemy territory? And and he's <laughs> like, you know, I'm just kidding. Whatever. That's just how I talk to people. And uh, <laughs> and I always find that if you if you approach the enemy with a real like hyperbolic joke, that it's it's fine, right? Like it. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and. <laughs> It wasn't fine though, because he was no. Like, well, you hit the target. I think yeah. That's a, he, like was a like, he was like, he's like, wait, wait a minute. Why, why do you think I'm the enemy? He's like, why do oh, you know? Like man. your work is very important to me. I'm. I still think of myself <laughs> as a psychoanalytic theory. Like so, it really. I mean, I'm. I'm making fun of the way he talked, but he was really shaken by that. And well, I, yeah. I mean, he was speaking quicker because he thought he thought he felt the the um the sniper dots on his chest. He thought you know that that he didn't know was there. That's yeah, but what, I didn't what, mean that. Like yeah. I really meant it. Yeah. Like I I I thought like he had really gone over but it's interesting that he didn't see himself having gone over to the yeah. other side. But anyway, so because I think there's a there's a Joan Kopchak story that I would like to tell re- later because I think it'll make more sense okay. later. Okay. All right. Okay. Because <laughs> I think don't you think that there's a like there it's a there's a fundamental incompatibility with someone who says all of these people who say objects are the same level as subjects right. and people who are either you know, part of this German idealist tradition or part of the psychoanalytic tradition, which we kind of meld together, that mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that 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 tradition says no subject sticks out both in, in yeah. like kind of in two ways. Like on the one hand, it's lacking, but mm-hmm. because it's lacking, it's excessive, and so yeah. that it does. It's not just like another object. Yeah, I, I think 
and part of it too, and again, I, I, I could be, I could be wrong on, on, on this one, but, but like when I, when I hear claims about like, um, either like reducing the importance of the, of the subject and, and to, you know, put it again, this flat ontology, right? right Everybody's flat at the ontology, same, right. everyone's at the same level. Well, it's just like, uh, maybe this is so stupid, but like an object is never going to write a book. So it's not that like, so this, this, like this flat ontology where like the, like the book, the literal artifact of the book and the author are at the same level. I mean, they're not right because object is never going to cre- create itself like the way that subject is going to create object. It's not, it's not going to happen like that. Right. Um, it, yeah. Okay. So maybe, maybe that's dumb, but here's, I'll, I'll put another like okay. sort of thing on it is, is I, I tend to think that when we make these moves, uh, uh, when we make these moves that are like, you, you know, like, like reducing subjectivity, I, I really, I always, it just it comes off to me as it, 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 excludes the people who are actually doing it and maybe this is just as someone who loves television and is like you know my primary like object of study is like you know uh like is in television studies um uh and it's just so i'm just so attuned in the history of television studies to like when when there's a difference in talking about the tv viewer than there is talking about the film viewer and the difference is always that the tv viewer doesn't understand something and it's always like there's like a kind of condescension built into that yeah. where the person that writes about TV who is also a TV viewer is not one of these viewers that they're talking about. And that's kind of how some of the triple O thing comes off to me is that like they triple O, by the way, is their way to say what they are. Right. Like object oriented yeah, ontology. Yeah, they, but yeah, they sorry, prefer they, triple O. Yeah. Triple O. OK. Yeah. So that this triple O thing is like so I'm. Like I'm, I don't want to say like like I'm I'm bringing I'm I'm either raising up objects to the same status of me or I'm bringing myself to the status of objects and that makes me the authority upon which to be able to talk about them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think like that's the, really there, there's yeah, a, yeah. There's a kind of there's a kind of built in like like um actual there's in that move of deprivileging there's a move of privileging. I'll put it that way, and that's and and that is the thing that I that I kind of like I, I push back against a little right bit. because. I mean, just like you're saying, I think that there's like the, there's a subject of enunciation, right? Like somebody, somebody yeah. has to say it, and I think that's yeah. the thing that you're pointing. Like when you said like the, when you said that somebody has to write the book, and that's that's oh, the yeah. Yeah. that's the point of enunciation. And then I think you're right, like that idea of like of include me out, like that's what they're saying. So like mm-hmm. like, like I'm going to analyze yeah, well this thing, yeah. but I'm going to be included yeah. out, and that's. All yeah, those gestures, yeah. what's interesting about that is that both of those gestures are the gestures of subjectivity. So I think it's, yeah, you yeah. know, in the attempt to avoid subjectivity, it actually attests to the inescapability of subjectivity, I, I, it seems to me. like the, So, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it, I, it's, I find it hard not, I guess we're spending an episode on it, so it has to be taken <laughs> seriously, but it's really yeah, hard yeah, for me to take it seriously theoretically because that error mm-hmm. seems to be so glaring. Like it seems to be, I don't know how, if you're thinking it through that you don't see that your act of speaking already has to in some way be taken into account. Like it can't just be, yeah. it, it, it assumes that that's just another act with all these other acts, but it clearly is not because it, it's, it creates the field in a certain, mm-hmm. in a certain mm-hmm. important way, I think. 
I think one of the other ideas that's important to talk about that's sort of foundational for uh, for Triple O is the idea that um, when we do talk about like another way of like uh, leveling or, or, or making co-equal a subject and object is the idea that we withdraw subjectivity from objects. I think that's a pretty big idea. Yeah. So and talk it, about that some more. Yeah. Well, I think, okay, so I think, um, I think Levy Bryant probably yeah. talks about this the, yeah. the most. Yeah, is, is that like um, the, and, and, and help me if I'm, if I'm, if I'm misrepresenting sure. or, or not, or, or not getting it exactly right. It's been a little bit since I've read the book. Um, but I, the way that I, that I understand the idea is that um, it's not like, like we don't, it, it, it's sort of like this kind of like, the reversal that is um i don't know i think like we like to do all the time and of course he was like educated in the lacanian strain of thought so he would think to do this which right. is that, like w- we may think that we are giving meaning to the object but the object gives meaning to us right and and and, and that that's sort of that's sort of the idea so i would give like um you know uh, so he, here's a um like a this is a stupid example but like um oh uh the okay a, a band we both like the cure meant so like that i identified with that band that band meant so much to me when i was ages you know blank to blank yep. that like they got me through whatever i think like you know levy bryant would see that and be like yeah you, okay like so your subjectivity was shaped by formed, the cure. exactly shaped by the cure it was it was it was um you know there was the object and then you took it and you made it a part of you so like you were at the same level that's that that's how that's how you the subject comes into being right is through the interaction with objects. I think that, is that fair? Yeah, that's, that's fair. fair. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, so here's the, the twist. Yeah, give it the twist. <laughs> is that, I'll give it the twist, is um, the psychoanalytic angle would be we, the subject puts something in the object first and then takes it out. And it happens immediately. And there's not a, it's maybe a little tendentious that I brought us to music because I think the music is the best example is when you mishear a song lyric and then you sing that lyric back to yourself for like the rest of your life until someone tells you uh, that it's wrong. That's you putting something in the object and then you took it out. And it's just like, you know, there's famous mishearings, hold me closer, Tony Danza, instead of hold me closer, Tiny Dancer, excuse me while I kiss this guy, like, right, instead of kiss this guy, right, Right. those are, those are famous mishearings, but it's like, and there's individual, like, like ones that, like, I... Each of us have, right? Like, I don't think, I don't think there's anyone in the world that has ever, that listens to popular music that hasn't done this, right? Right, to, to something. And, like, two of my favorite bands, uh, uh, more contemporary bands, are The National and Beach House. And, like, they are... I I, I don't know that they, if they would say this about themselves, but they basically do Mondegreen as their 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 lyrics. And a Mondegreen is a poetic um, form where you attempt to induce... You, on, on purpose, induce a mishearing in the person listening to you. Yeah. And it comes from Sylvia Wright, who misheard this... Um, Th- this this uh, lyric um, and laid him down on the green and she misheard it as and Lady Mondegreen. <laughs> That's how she misheard it. What's the song? And, What's the song? Oh, it's like a. It's not a famous um, song. Okay. No, it's not a famous yeah. song. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it, it, so so that's anyway. These two bands are like it's like Mondegreens like like all the time. Like I like uh, I am frequently like I frequently sing things to myself from uh, songs of their like Zebra is a great example from if anyone wants to listen to yeah. of uh, from Beach House and like 
pick out like two words that you can even understand from that and try like singing it back to yourself and then actually go look it up and see how close you got. Like it, it's just a thing that it's kind of, to me, it's, it's, it's analogous to um, when you watch a movie or when you watch a TV, like it, it's never, no one has ever sat anyone down before they started watching television as a child. And, and like, no one has ever been concerned like, Oh, but they're, a, they're, they're two years older. They're going to understand montage. No, no one has ever said that. Right. No one's ever sat a two-year-old down and was like, okay, there's going to be cuts, okay? And then you're going to have to fill in what happened to make it continuous. No one ever explains that to someone as a child. We just grow up and we understand that. Like, we we, we make the continuity in, like, we, we where, where the gap occurs. Right. That's that's what happens. And it, it happens with music and, 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 and with mishearing. Well, and aren't, aren't there, great, me, there are great filmic examples of mishearing quotations too, right? Like, we just did, you just did it before our, our, our podcast, is that you said to me, because I, I told you a story about not being allowed in the MLA book room because I didn't have my badge, right. um, which, by the way, like for an organization that is always wanting to find a way to be, uh, you know, how can we better outreach to the public and show what the humanities does? Why don't you let the public into your fucking book room? Like, I think, uh, what's the, what's the problem with so that? So Ryan anyway. is never going to MLA again. That's the, that's <laughs> I'm the, never, no, no, it is. This, that's a this, good, that's this, a good result of this thing. That this aggression will not stand. But anyway, uh, I, so I, I, what did yeah. I try to say? Like I, you should have said uh, badges. I don't need no stinking badges. That's what you said to me. And, and I told you that's not the line. Yeah. And then you said to me, I thought this was really funny. You said, like, I've actually seen, you said, I've actually seen the treasure of Sierra Madre, banking on me not having seen it, um, which is true. So you were right about that. But it um, still was wrong. It still was wrong. It was wrong. still wrong. Yeah. This yeah. is, in, in case someone listening thinks, this is the actual line I have it in front of me. All right, Curtin shouted back. If you're the police, where are your badges? Let's see them. And then he say, badges? To goddamn hell with badges. We have no badges. In fact, we don't need badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. You goddamn Caron and Chingo to Madre. Okay, so that's okay, right. Yeah. yeah. And that's a great example. But there's all kinds, like, um, ev- like uh, many people think the line from Shakespeare is, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. Yeah. That is not the line. Alas, poor Yorick. I, I knew him, Horatio, is the, li- is, is, is the, is the actual line. And he should have it, it said happened. well, though. It's better. Well, so that's another, so that's another thing. And I think this is another like little twist on it is that like, I think, so even though you were wrong to say that, and like everyone who says we don't need no stinking badges, I think everyone's right. right. Like it's yeah. a better line. It's a better like line. it is, but it, what that shows you in the psychoanalytic twist is that's the short circuit of subjectivity. Right. And, 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 and that, that's, and you, you, what you you're saying is the object doesn't exist for object oriented ontology. Right? Yeah. It, it doesn't, well, it doesn't because there's, um, you have we have all like like put in in this like a, a, like a minimal moment in an in an unconscious moment we've put something in something and then like we've taken it out as though it was it was just there and i think that like one of the underlying presumptions of object oriented ontology and there's that sometimes no unconscious. material is there well for one there's no unconscious and we can talk about that too but i also think it's that like like subject and object are kind of neutral well, that's absolutely no. They absolutely believe that, right? That they're neutral. Yeah, right. yeah, and I think that that's wrong. I think mm. that that there there's no there's no neutrality between subject and there's no neutrality between subject and object. Right. Like it, it's 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 not like um, that even oh, the well. That's interesting. That even objects aren't neutral. That's a kind of a funny thing that I think is true. I 
Yeah, I don't. Yeah, exactly. I, I think. Well, that's that's this, the, this whole example of this. Before you even hear the song lyric, you've misheard it. You know what right. I mean? Like, like that's. I think. I think that's what that's what happens. And and uh, but that's that's the play of subjectivity. Is that it's your, like you you try to make uh, a, a continuity out of something that you know where it's lacking, and and that's how you just said this earlier. That's how the lacking subject becomes excessive. Like you. I mean, I'll put it in a, in a again, in, in, in a sort of simplistic formula, like you have a lacking of, a, of understanding about the song lyrics. And so you like kind of overperform it. And, and there's this like you have this like excessive understanding of what the lyric, and you don't. Right. Like, you're just you're just singing the thing that you think you understand. No, but you and do so like that. The, the, yeah, no, the, it's it's yeah. right to say that they they that lack and excess there coincide. Right. Like you, yeah, you really yeah, yeah, do yeah, have an excessive yeah. understanding. I mean, you really do yeah. understand something more that you, you get something that's just to use our little terminology, that's in the song yeah. more than the song, right? Like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, like you get the je ne sais quoi. Like that's the whole point, right? That you actually, yeah. mm-hmm. you get a better, you get something better. So I think it is, it is really excessive. It's not like there's... And I, yeah. Didn't you say it's no, not no, really... No, please, please. I'm, no, no, I, I was going to move on to... to I kind of made, you made. Oh, I stole your phone. Sorry, sorry. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. No, 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 it's all right. No, you made it better than I was going to do it. I was just going to point out that... Um, that Freud, for whatever reason, and I think this is a, a, a nice example of a misreading, um, that uh, Freud includes mishearing as a parapraxis, and like you, I, I never hear people talk about that. Like yeah, it's always a sli- it's always a slip, slip of the, the tongue, tongue, right? Yeah, yeah. but a mishearing or misreading something or just like this happened, like like I don't know how many times in my life I have not wanted to do something and it's been on my schedule and I've misread the time <laughs> and I've missed it because I didn't really want to do it, yeah. but I was sw- I swear to God it was Tuesday at three, not Monday at two. Yeah, but I was I looked at it and it was Monday at two and I was like, oh, that's at three tomorrow. I don't want to do it yeah. and I missed it. Yeah. I once showed up twenty five and a half hours late for work at Walmart because I didn't want to work. Yeah, on one day. It was really funny. I was supposed to work on a Monday and I showed up the next this is why this is my this is like literally comes from an example. I showed up for work on Tuesday. Here's the thing, Todd. I showed up a half hour late for the shift I thought I was working on Tuesday and I wasn't even working that day. I was supposed to work the day before and I missed the shift entirely. So that's and anyway, nobody called me because it tells you how tight of a ship we were running around. The Walmart is not an object. Um uh, yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, those are such great example. I just want to say one thing. Like, I think REM, all their songs are about yeah. they're just letting their listeners make up their own lyrics. Yeah. So the object Mon- doesn't totally the object doesn't matter at all. And yeah, I've said this to you before. There's this great movie called The Way Way Back, um, where mm-hmm. where they're it's about a, it's kind of a tween film, like a kid's like fourteen mm-hmm. or something or teen, I guess, because he's fourteen. Um, but but uh, <laughs> but he he. Uh, He's at this cabin, and this, they're, they're, they're all these groups of families that get together. And this one woman uh, starts singing this, like she's, they're drunk, and she starts singing this song mm-hmm. by uh, Mr., this group, Mr., Mr. And it's called, mm-hmm. the, the song is Curie Laison. And she thinks that the name of the song, or the words say, Carry a Laser. So she starts singing <laughs> Carry a Laser, and everybody starts laughing at her. <laughs> but it's like, like in a certain way, that makes more sense than, I mean, yeah. you know, like, because no one knows Latin, so whatever. But um, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I told a, I told a story on a podcast I did with uh, the Cooper Cherry that my sister. Do you know the song uh, uh, "Garage Land" by the Clash? No, I don't know that. Oh man, it's a great song. It's off their first album. And well, okay, so obviously in England we say "garage" in America, but in England they say "garage." Okay, I didn't and know so, that. Okay. 
Oh, okay. So so the song is Garage Land, like a like a garage band, yeah. right? Okay. And so the line in the song is that like we we come from Garage Land, and then it's like we're a garage band. That's the, that's that's the line. Those are the two lines. Okay. My sister didn't know this when she was younger, and so she thought what the song was: "We've come for Gary's bag." <laughs> And I just think it's the best mishearing. Yeah, and then like, and then, and then the next line is where are Gary's bags? Like they're just demanding to know. Cause it didn't, cause she didn't know the word. It didn't make sense to her. And just like you're saying, like she created she a pretty good a, song out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. it's these people that were really invested in Gary for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. And they need to get his stuff back. Like, I mean, that's just like, you know. Yeah. So I me. wonder what they would think about this, like the way in which yeah. the distortion, I, 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 you know, it's hard to say, but I, it seems like this is a, this would be like, and no one who's so people have taken them on. So, like I mentioned before, Alenka Slavoy have, Slavoy spent a lot of time taking them mm-hmm. on, and uh, mainly in what was the book um, Incontinence of the Void. I think he spends the most time uh, mm-hmm. against Harmon and, and Levy Bryant. But uh, I wonder, I wonder what they would say against this critique because it seems so, yeah. on the one hand, kind of out of left field, but also yeah. so damning <laughs> for that reason. Like it's hard to think of a proper response if you're in a materialist because it's a real way in which subjectivity infects the material world without yeah. you know without um without any with it shows that they're not on the same plane right like so i don't it seems to me hard yeah, there's, there's a primary distortion of the subject yeah. that creates this relation to the object that's that i think is the psychoanalytic position right but it's and it I, seems I, hard I, for me to understand how you would rebut this point from that perspective i have i have one it's and it's maybe bad okay it's maybe a bad ar- counter argument okay. but i think what they would argue i mean it just seems like pretty obvious how you would argue against it but i think someone might say that what i'm describing are actually bad encounters with the object or just delusions or fantasies i guess that's the other thing yeah. they would say right like they're just yeah. you're just talking about those are just those are not even bad. Enc- so that's interesting. You said bad encounter because I was thinking they yeah. would just say that's not an encounter at all. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That's pretty good. But I think that the fact that it's so common and so pervasive, like it gives the lie to that position. Like I don't think you could say that. Like you, you would like like Luke. I am my father. I, I am my father. That's really funny. Yeah. Luke, I am your father. Yeah, that's what right. people think is the line. He says no, Luke. Dramatic pause. I am your father right. and empire strikes back, right. but everybody thinks it's the other thing. And, it, and you know, like it's, 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 this isn't like, this isn't millions of people throughout history having like no, no encounters with the object. This is like this, I think like tracks historically, this is how this, how subjects encounter objects is it's like in the encounter, like, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll put it this way it, uh, in a, in a, in a, uh, in, in our, our formula for us, there is no hearing except mishearing. Yeah. How's that? Yeah. And I, there, there is no encounter except a, a misencounter. Because, I, I, because I, your hearing is always, is always tinged with your fantasy frame, right? Like that's yeah, the, exactly. that's the idea, yeah. which is, I mean, or Kant, what Kant would say is your, your hearing is always through some kind of transcendental schematism that you have right like yeah. that's the that's the that's the con i mean kant wouldn't say fantasy but he would say something mm-hmm. some you know his version of that i think so it's interesting yeah so but but t- just to speak of kant because he's there oh yeah i was going to ask you to get into this yeah could you do the yeah i like, thought i would yeah he's the he's the touchstone figure for the disagreement yeah, yeah. so i thought that's why i mentioned him because i was using thinking of him as a turning point because he really so 
Maesu starts this. And so after finitude is basically a huge diatribe against Immanuel Kant. And, and he says this fascinating thing, and he's, this Kant's the, the guy he's thinking of here. He says, the mm-hmm. Copernican Galilean decentering <laughs> carried out by modern <laughs> science gave rise to a Ptolemaic counter-revolution in philosophy led by Kant. Okay. So that's his idea. Mm-hmm. And that, so that Kant, so the decentering in, but although that's funny because <laughs> don't Copernicus and Galileo, like, like don't they, I mean, they do decenter the world, but they, mm-hmm. but they do it by understanding the role that the subject plays in its yes. perception, right? Like, so that's, yeah. so it's yeah, not 100%. exactly fair to say yeah. they, mm-hmm. that they, it's just this decentering, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> like the whole point is Galileo, like what Copernicus understands is our w- way of seeing things. You can't just look mm-hmm. out and take objects as they are because our, you have to include our way of seeing into them, in which case yeah. we're, our, we're not, what we're seeing isn't really what is happening, right? Like, so, mm-hmm. so it's funny that I don't think it's exactly a decentering. But then anyway, so. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but okay. So, More like a recentering. How's that? Uh, yeah, or a, uh, but it is a decentering once, it, but, it, but it, like, like a, it's a decentering that still puts subjectivity at the yeah. center, right? Like it's a, like there, <laughs> yeah. that has to still be part of it. Um, although there's a way in which sub- modern science t- can't coexist with subjectivity. So that's, that's true, yeah. I think, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then, but this idea that, that philosophy, so Kant's who he's thinking of, that this Ptolemaic counter-revolution in philosophy, that because Kant puts subjectivity at the heart of every, the, the whole, all our understanding of the world. And so that's, so for for Mayasu and then for his followers like like Harmon and and Bennett to to some, I mean, to the extent that she's a follower of his, um, mm-hmm. that, that their idea is that Kant that 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 putting of the transcend what they call the transcendental or the, the 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 having to have subjectivity there as the mm-hmm. the 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 lens through which we have any way of accounting for the world like that for them that's the great error of modern philosophy so that's the thing so mm-hmm. that's the so this idea that we can all we like Kant's idea all we can know are appearances and things in themselves are off limits to us that for right. them is like absolute horror like that their mm-hmm. point is mm-hmm. we really can know things in themselves and we can have it's odd that they don't think objects touch each other but they think we can talk about things in themselves directly mm. without this thinking about the problem of epistemology. So it's all about, so if Kant, what he does by making subjectivity central is he foregrounds the problem of epistemology. And what they want to do is say, let's just th- not think about the problem of epistemology because we can actually talk about that, talk about things in themselves. Right. Which has led you uh, to write an essay, which um, we could maybe link on this podcast? Yeah, sure. We can, um, it. yeah, yeah, we can do this. Yeah. Um, so were you, you in a, in a way, uh, reminiscent of, uh, Omar and the wire, when you come at the King, <laughs> you best not miss you. You think that they, they came at the wrong, they came at the wrong King They They aimed at, uh, at comp, but they really should have been aiming at Hegel because the problem in the position that, that they have is it completely obviates the idea of mediation. Right, right, right. Which is the okay. thing for Hegel, right? Like that's right. the thing for Hegel, right? That, that, yeah. that every and, and so what's interesting is that I I think I start that essay. I don't remember this totally, but I think I start that essay with Hitchcock's notion of the villain, like that the villain makes the picture, and that yeah, 
and that they chose the wrong, like if they would have chose, chose the right yeah. villain, then they would have, but of course they would have even had their whole philosophy. So they had to choose a villain. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so I think that Hegel's whole point is that the, the, any way that we have of talking about objects in themselves, he accepts the Kantian idea that there is a, you know, we have to think through epistemology, but then mm -hmm. he goes further to say the way in which the limitations that we find in epistemology, like the limitations of that, that, that create a barrier for us knowing things in themselves or what, like that whole, that, that notion of a distinction between appearances and things in themselves that Kant describes, he then says that actually tells us something has an ontological bearing that tells us something about things in themselves. So, so there's a mm -hmm, way in mm -hmm. which Hegel is himself a kind of speculative realist, you know, in a different yeah. sense because he, but he, he wants to say, yes, we can talk about actual things, but only because it, only by working through mediation, right? Like that's his right. whole, that's his whole gambit is that, okay, we can actually think about, the world as it actually exists, but only insofar as we think through the problems of epistemology that are given to us and then think like, what must the world be like that those problems arose for us? So that's his, so that's to me a fascinating way of thinking. And that's, that's a, that's a kind of object oriented way of thinking, right? But it's, it takes yeah. subjectivity as mm -hmm. its absolute starting point. And so that's where I think Hegel represents a real, I don't know what I would call it, like substantive response to object-oriented ontology and, and new materialism that I don't think, like it seems to me like it allows you to sustain, you don't have to be naive in the way that they are, and yet you can still talk about actual things in the way that, I mean, like that's the criticism, say, like of what people think of as, I don't, I'm like cultural theory is that it never yeah. it never wants to make any it makes all relativist claims about the yeah, world and yeah, never yeah. really makes mm -hmm. an actual claim and I think Hegel mm -hmm. what's great about him is that he he does both like he on the one hand he sees the way in which we have to work through the problems of epistemology but then he says if we do that we can think about what it, what the world must be like that it made these particular problems arise yeah, no, it's a, it's a really nice point. It's it's really interesting. I hadn't thought about this before, but like in a way, isn't um isn't the way that um Hegel begins the phenomenology like uh I don't I don't think he doesn't say this and I I, talk, I feel like I talk about the sense certainty. Maybe we should do a podcast on the sense yeah, certainty. Yeah, we should section. probably do it. Yeah. Cuz we That's people want us idea. to talk about Hegel a lot, so we should talk about sense okay. certainty. But yeah, do go but make your point. Oh, just just like yeah, really really uh, briefly, but I think it it adds to this point is that you you could make the argument that Okay, so so Kant says that we you you know we, you can there are objects and then there's the there's there, there are things and the things in itself and that you can never know the thing in itself you can just you just know the thing it, that could be read as an endorsement of sense certainty, don't you think? Like it, it, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a naive way that all you can that, know is like, the appearance. Yeah, all, yeah, yeah. All you can know is the the appearance and like that which that that which you can have a sense of. Oh, right, so it's right. almost like so it's almost like that first section is an is contra Kant in like like again that would be like the in the worst possible understanding right, right. of what Kant's talking about as that like you can only know things in the you know things as they as they appear as in you can only know like the 
you can only have a sense certainty about them. That's kind of like, like Hegel comes at that idea from that perspective, but it's almost like that's the position that triple O has kind of adopted. Right. I think that's right. I think they really have adopted the position of sense certainty that clearly unbeknownst to them, right? Like they wouldn't want to say that they have that position, but I think but what what's interesting about the sense certainty section and the idea of sense certainty, like all we can be sure of is what we perceive by our senses, right? That that's mm-hmm. the idea. Um, yeah, it's absolutely allergic to mediation, and I think that's yeah, yeah, what their exactly. position is. Like it says, it like for them, this is why they find Deleuze a kind of fellow traveler, right? Because he mm-hmm. too has a has a has a distrust and a a, a hatred almost of representation and mediation. And so I think that's, I think you're right to to point to that, that mediation is really at the core of what they're thinking themselves opposed to. And I, and I mean, like in the figure of Kant, it's clear that Kant's Mm. all about mediation, but then Hegel makes it not just, you know, for like, it's almost like it's in itself in Kant. And then with Hegel, it's mediation yeah. for itself, right? It's uh, it becomes the, right, right. the whole driving force of his philosophy. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I think that, that, um, by, it's, I, I just think that's so funny by, by pushing back against Kant, um, what they adopt is like almost, an, 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 an approving stance of like kind of the, the, the like like the worst understanding of, of that idea of, of objects and appearances, right, which is right. the first thing right. that Hegel uh, takes on, takes on, in, right, in, yeah, in right. the phenomenology, right, yeah. right. I mean, it does. It's interesting too. Like we did that episode with Anna Kornblum on immediacy, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I think it's not surprising that that new materialism would rise in an epoch where immediacy is privileged. Because, yeah. because that's what they're all about, is about what's the immediate experience of the thing and what or what is the thing in its immediacy. Yeah. And so... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think... And it's such a... It's a thing that I, I... Like, and there are ideas around here that, like, I, like, reject wholeheartedly. Like, I, I hate... I think we even, I even said this a little bit on the episode. Like, I really, really detest the idea of, like, of immersion and, like and objects and like digital objects uh, specifically yeah. like um like vr is this immersive thing or like yeah. or ar is an immersive thing like aug- augmented reality right. um or, or or even just like like these things like oh these people saw uh avatar so many times that they didn't know what was real or what wasn't and that's like another classic kind of like media condescension sort of thing but but it's like everything is 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 immersive you know, you know, like, right. like I think because of because of disavowal, because to get into anything, you just have to like to read a book, like, like you know, it's not real, but you have to pretend it is while you're doing it, or it's just like it's it's stupid, like you have to make this initial gesture, um, and so and and in that move to make something like like immersive that way, there's there's mediation. There's there's the there's the mediation of like of of disavowal I think is, is what kind of comes in. That's interesting uh, because strongly. I think people when you say that people who celebrate the immersive celebrate it because it seems to be not mediated at all. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No. It's exactly right. And yeah. then it's like, well, this it's the thing that comes up a lot with video games. It's like you know this um, such and such uh, thing is bad because it broke immersion, and it's like. 
Oh yeah, I didn't know that. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just like oh, so this um, I'm playing this game. It's supposed to be in uh, in Victorian England or whatever, and uh, the developers just put um, they copy and pasted the same um, uh, books, like like the same look of books, and they're like all over the place, and it really breaks the immersion because it's the same book all over the place, and it's like. No, like the game, the game didn't do that. It's just it's, to me, it's kind of like you're looking for a reason to not be in the thing. Like you're 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 looking to. Uh, I think that whenever you encounter, whenever you encounter a, a film, a video game, a book, whatever you you are signing a contract, which is like I'm being, I'm going into this thing. Yeah, and and that means I'm going to accept like, the f- controlling fantasy, right? Like that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and then. When you break that, like when you break that contract, like, you know, like, oh, hey, suddenly nothing's immersive and there are problems with everything right. that, that, that try, that try to be immersive and you can pick out like the little things. And, and, and I, I think that, um, so it, I, I, I don't like this idea of like something is immersive to the degree that it can recreate reality. Um, and, 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 and like flawlessly, like, I don't think that that's true. Something is immersive to the point that you allow yourself to disavow that it's, that it's fake. Right. And do you think, so you think that the, 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 the fetishization of the immersive mm-hmm. is part of the whole c- rule of immediacy. Right. And so, yeah. And, yeah. Well, it's a, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's like a. The object has to do it to me. The object, That's what right, it is. right. So it's about. Yeah. So in that sense, it's really linked to to new materialism because it's all about yeah. the way in which the we put the agency on the side of the object, right? Yeah, it's, a one hundred. I yeah, that's exactly where where I, I want I want to take that and put that. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's a it's a because I find this all the time is that like, I, um, I mean, I think I said this at the end of the, the last episode, like you see it all the time with evaluations of like TV series or, or movie series is that like when people are dissatisfied, what they want is they want to have had a better master. They wanted better writers or better directors, you know, better showrunners that, you know, you know, better developers. And, and, and it's because like the object needs to do the thing to them. Right. Like we're like, like it's, 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 it's a, it's a um a, like a, a total belief in the idea that like to take part in media is a passive experience and that the thing is 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 doing its thing to you like like you are in no way it's a, it's a refusal of of mediation really right but, in, but in no, that I, I'm me, not sure mediation I is is active sorry yeah, yeah no I just don't sure understand because clearly aren't there times in which look I totally take your point about the way that yeah. we blame the object but aren't there times in which the show's just not very good like. Yeah, right. But then the movement, then it's just like, yeah, it's, but don't, I think, don't demand the, uh, like a better, I, I think don't demand, oh, don't a, better demand a better one. I see master. your point. Okay. That's what I, I'm saying. I see your point. Okay. Yeah. That, okay, that's my okay, point. Okay. It's like, like, yes, of course. Like, like, I'm not saying that like taste shouldn't exist and that like, you know, that, but whatever. It's just that uh, for me, the, um, the bad, uh, the bad object, I, I, I think like to put it in inverted commas is like that, is, that shouldn't, that always needs to be seized as the moment where you see why something works. Not not why it's broken and needs to be fixed by a by a better master by a better thing. Interesting. Like so bad. even so, for you, even the failed work, like even the really yes. failed work, it still has something to tell you because 
it, yeah. it tells you something about what? About the way ideology functions or what? Like ideology or something like I'll give I'll give an example. There's a famously bad movie by this famously bad filmmaker named Neil Breen. It's called Fateful Findings. Okay. It's really, really, really bad. It's a, he's a uh, Las Vegas um, uh, architect like he's he's like. Um, privately wealthy and he makes these passion project movies that he thinks are good and they're awful. Okay. They're really bad okay. and they're wonderful. And I, um, so I have this movie Faithful Findings and I, sc- I screened Blue Velvet for a class okay. um, and nobody really knew how to talk about it. Yeah. You didn't or get fired or then, yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. And they, and, uh, but it's like some people thought it was interesting, but the, and then I was like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, we're going to watch fateful findings because this is someone thinking they're doing David Lynch, but it's really bad. Okay. And I screened that to them. And then the next day we, we talked about, we talked about blue velvet again and they see why it worked, why it wasn't just weirdness for weirdness sake. Like they saw like the thread through it because this guy had the misreading of Lynch that we were kind of talking about earlier. And he tried to make a movie based off the misreading of Lynch. And in, in that misreading, I think he, he gives such a, conv- he makes such a convincing case for, for, for why, for why Lynch works. Okay. That's, that's my argument. Got, I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. I, again, I'm not a new materialist, but I do think like, let's take the example of Forrest Gump. Like sure. Forrest Gump, yeah. it's not my fault that Forrest Gump is ho- totally ideological and, <laughs> right. you know, and like is probably yeah, responsible course. for the election of George Bush. Like that's not yeah. my fault. Like, <laughs> so I don't, I mean, like, yeah. it doesn't tell me anything about, like, the, like you know what I'm saying? Like, those, that aspect of Forrest Gump is not yeah. revelatory of my, doesn't reveal anything about my subjectivity, I don't think, right? No, I don't think so, but I don't think, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm necessarily making that claim. I think that, that the, the, I think that the experience, the, the, the encounter with the bad object can, like, clarifies, like, I don't I, you know, I don't want to, like it clarifies another object and it, it clarifies. Um, and like, I, I think that the example of Forrest Gump is really great because it's like, it's pretty, like, I think that is pretty revelatory for someone who maybe doesn't like a, a gateway to understanding ideology. Like, yeah, no, it's not, it, right. For sure. For sure. But for, I so, mean, right. So, I, but, but yeah, but so, okay. So but, you're, but what you're I'm pointing that, is like, that like, yeah. it's not just, but, but if I, like I could have turned for it, like if you, if you, if you you ask no, but me. it is. Hold on, I need to I need to interrupt you because it is because it, it this is this is where it, this is where it is uh, revelatory of the subject is okay. that like if this is if you see you watch Forrest Gump when you were a kid and you I'm older than that, you, but okay. No, no, no. I understand. No, 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 no. I'm I'm not not you. This is like <laughs> okay, a, okay. The, a royal you. Okay. It, uh, I'll say one. If one watched that as a child and they loved the movie and then they watch it later as an adult and then suddenly they have this thing where they're like, oh. So the dumb guy who doesn't question anything or authority ever, he becomes rich. And then the girl who was like sexually abused by her father and questions all authority and patriarchy gets AIDS and dies. Before AIDS like, even existed. Kind of, okay. Before it even yeah, existed. Yeah. yeah. And then Robert Zemeckis has to say like two, like a year ago that she didn't get AIDS, even though it's very clear, it's clear. Yeah. that's what, yeah. that's what, that's what it is. Um, I, I think that you would have a moment where you're like, I, I saw this I saw this very differently. Like I had, like I watched true lies with Kara the other, like that's a hard movie to watch. I think I saw that as a movie. I thought it was, I I liked it a lot as a kid and it is just like, it is just empty misogyny and a fantasy of like making your, your wife 
like be more like be better to you and for you. And it's like, it's very hard to, and so you have like that, that encounter, I think it, it does do something for, um, for, for, for subjectivity and it is revelatory of, of, uh, of you as a subject. That's where, that's where I, that's okay. Where I would say okay. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess I get you. But I mean, like we, we sat around when Forrest Gump mm-hmm. came out and we're like, look, if he did this, 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 that'd have been a pretty radical film. You see what I'm saying? Like, Shh. like the very thing that you said. Yeah, but that's just not, you're not dealing. So uh, you're not dealing with what it is when, when, whenever anyone, and not just you, but whenever anyone says that it's a failure to, to okay. actually okay. confront what the object is. So that was a failure. Like, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so we, but so, okay. Okay. So that was a, that was a reactionary gesture on our part. Yeah. I think like that film was, that film was never going to be, was never going to be radical. Like it would, at no, at no point was that film ever going to be radical. It would, it's only radical, like the, like the, the radicality of that film that you, that, that is worth talking about is, um, the, like just the thoughtless acceptance of like the basic and you know what the, you know what the thing is that people that do bring up about that movie yeah and I, and this is also ideological is that no, no one ever talks about how Jenny uh, rapes Forrest no one because no one talks about women doing that to men that's what I've what I see online oh my god about people and it's yeah it's just like oh right that yeah that's the problem we need yeah. to be talking about it's like yeah that's all like sure also that's that's in the film too i guess but i mean there's all these other things i mean it, it, like her whole trajectory the, the the everything that it says about like you know like like the way that it positions itself as like an american dream kind of story is just like uh, you 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 could not if there were architect if there were literal if there was actually a patriarchy that was elected and there were architects of ideology that was a de- department within patriarchy they they couldn't have made a more perfect movie yeah, than that one. Yeah, I mean it's tough. Like <laughs> if you think the worst movie in American like in terms of its influence, obviously yeah. Birth of a Nation has to be at the top, but that one's pretty yeah, high, yeah. right? Like it's pretty yeah. high. So anyway, I, like we've probably talked about too much. I'm sorry to bring that up, but but <laughs> no. Uh, no, it's okay. But it does, it does come to, yeah, it clarifies saying, the yeah. point to me. I mean, it really makes it clear to me. And I think it's really good. Like, like, I guess what you're saying is I was already giving too much ground to this materialism, right? Like I was already thinking, giving too much weight to the object outside of the mediating force of subjectivity, right? Like that's, yeah, that's what yeah, you were yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That anytime yeah. we encounter it, Anytime we encounter it, we have to think about it in terms of, I mean, not just the subject's mediation, I guess, but the society's mediation. And that's kind of what yeah. you were saying about the way in yeah, which... Yeah, the group. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like that's... Exactly. Like, because objects... I mean, that's the whole thing is that, like, the... the I just started teaching a class on, on the two. So I'm just thinking about this all the time and like, and psychoanalysis as a theory of the two or the not two as, as it's put, because it's never, it's never just a two because right. of the split in the subject right. and the failure of, of the two evinces the split in the one. Like Psycho, like, you know, Slavoj puts this well in this newest book, sex and the failed absolute that psychoanalysis is about the one plus. Yeah. And that the two yeah, is the plus, right? I mean, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty good. And it, it, it sort of is, says something about what we're talking about, right? Like there's no, like the object is in the plus. Like it's not, yes. it's not like it's, it's never just this thing separate from subjectivity. It's part yeah. of this plus that's attached to the subject. So that's, it, yeah, I no, think that's, that's so good. It, yeah. That's clarifying. Thank you for saying that because yeah. I think that this is, because that, that, that's my, my frustration a lot of time with media analysis is it's like, 
the object is separate from everything else. And you, and, 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 and what, what people are very skilled at being able to do in a, in a popular sense is to be able to pick out like the flaws, right? Like the movie logic flaws that are in the object. Like that's what they can do. And it's like, it's like ripping it away from any kind of a, like, like tie, like it had, like it is just, like these, like these artworks come out and they are, they just exist in their like totalized singularity. And they don't say they, it's not like the problems with, with, with Forrest Gump are like, I don't know, like, Oh, well it cuts from here to here. And we don't under, like well, the, the movie doesn't make sense because he gets from this part of the country to this part of the country in this amount of time. And that doesn't make sense. It's like, no, that's not why the movie doesn't make sense. The movie doesn't make sense because of the, it's like it, because of it's a reliance on ideology. And the fact that you thought the only problems were like technical flaws or something right. that of that, that's the proof of ideology. That's how, that's how you see it work. So I, so that's, that's, that's pretty that's pretty good for me yeah that's that, good that, yeah like, i think the, these was, things always come into a matrix of relation right uh between right. Bet, uh, between the subject and 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 that's nice but yeah what uh, tell me more about no i just was going to say i think that's such a good point that the one plus rather than the two the two coming together right like i think that's but yeah yeah i mean i think that's essential to the psychoanalytic understanding and i think it informs everything we're talking about because i think this this notion of of all subjects and objects being on the same plane is a way of getting mm-hmm. out, get, avoiding any of the plus. Like there's never, yeah, there's totally. never a plus anything because everything's been leveled off. But of course, there's never, there's no way that we ever experience or talk about things in which they're leveled. So that's the, I think mm-hmm. that's the, mm-hmm. the key thing. I just want to go th- a little, a couple things from Harmon before oh, sure. we, yeah. uh, before we, we stop. But I, so he, he says, this is a line from him. This is from um, Object-Oriented Ontology, A New Theory of Everything. He says, Radical politics as we know it is an outgrowth of modern philosophy with its modern idealism, and hence it is unlikely to survive much longer than modern philosophy itself. So it's pretty interesting that, he, <laughs> that, that while a lot of these thinkers are about like dethroning the privilege of subjectivity, it's not in keeping, it's not part of a, some radical political project. In fact, it's the opposite, right? Like it's the, mm-hmm. like I think there's a real link between liberalism and its isolation of every every uh, individual and this and and object oriented ontology or or new materialism and the isolation of every object. So that's I think well, we were just talking about about being a, like like a, a viewer in utter passivity right, where the object right, is doing it right, to you right. and that like the but these things exist in their own singularity and they're not connected by anything. They're not connected. So it's a it's a yeah. you know it's like it's a you know Leibniz is this great philosopher of the the monads. So he thought he's like mm-hmm. all every everything is just a there's an infinite number of monads and then he has this great line in the monadology says monads don't have windows so that they don't have any huh. ability to, to, to see other monads, mm-hmm. let alone touch mm-hmm. them or relate to them. So his idea was that, that it's, it's every monad has its, it exists in this total isolation, but there's this one monad of monads that keeps mm. them all coordinated. And so, you know, <laughs> that's, which is God. And so yeah. it's interesting mm-hmm. that they don't, they have the monads not having no windows, but they don't have the monad of monads that keeps them coordinated, but they implicitly have to, right? So there's right. like, there's an implicit God that coordinates all the objects in, mm-hmm. in Harmon's, his, it, it, it's the implicit ontology of Harmon, I think. So that's interesting. Mm. That's and then interesting. He, he has this, this, toward the, the middle of the book, he has this analysis of the, so he thinks, 
he'll just come up with objects. Like he'll say, the Civil War is an object, right? Like, okay. okay, like Civil War is an All object. Right. <laughs> and the fact that the Civil War is an object that has nothing to do with subjectivity or with him making it into, it's, it's, it's kind yeah. of, the, the naivete of the point is stunning. But then he says, <laughs> it's an object that has key moments. And then he, he spends about 20 pages analyzing why the Battle of Vicksburg is the key moment of the Civil War rather than the Battle of Gettysburg. And, you know, I have to say, it was one of the more interesting parts of the book because I'm like, okay, but he's not, he's not a historian, so he's probably, he's probably, he's probably wrong. wrong. But it's still, <laughs> but who knows what his historians Ooh, Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But uh, he's, maybe he's right. But I thought it was so fascinating <laughs> that, that he, in a book that declaims anything for subjectivity, that subjectivity has no weight at all, he, take, he spends all this time trying to make this very subjective account because clearly yeah. most people think it's the battle of Gettysburg that is the decisive uh, yes. battle in the civil war. And so why it's just so ironic. It's like he almost knew unconsciously what could be the thing that would most undermine and destroy my argument. And I'm going to so choose and, it, right? Like that's I'm going to choose it and talk about and make it kind of make it evident, like in a way that had he not included that, it wouldn't have been clear. It wouldn't have been clear. You know, like, and my all yeah. of my I taught this book and my students in their all their evaluations, they were like, Harmon was really easy to read. I appreciated that, but never teach this book again. Like they're just like <laughs> because they felt like we came to class and it was like ten minutes. I mean, we just spent an hour and ten minutes, but they're like we talked about other things. <laughs> they're like yeah. it's ten minutes and then it's over. You know, like, so we had the rest right. of class and we just didn't have anything else to say because the 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 refutation seems so self-evident. But anyway, they thought that this choosing of the Vicksburg example was like, my God, his unconscious just, it picked out the perfect yeah. example for him. It's so funny, right? Like, isn't like the, uh, what is it, the, the great line and the, the Perlian letter? Um, seminar. The letter always finds its but address. Le- so. Letter always arrives at its destination. Although that's probably always not what he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what well, what he means is like is of course it's the like the insistence of the of, of signifiers to like stay the and that the power. unconscious always hits its mark, yeah. right? Like that's the yeah, that's, that's the it. idea, yeah, it right? Always that, hits the target. Yeah, yeah, that that that. And I think what we've been talking about this whole time is that is the way in which the unconscious is what's present, even in the way any way that object thinking or materialist thinking tries to articulate itself, the unconscious manifests itself and gets in the way and gets in the Mm. way of any immediate experience of the object or any immediate account of the object. This is why at that LAC conference, um, uh, Joan Kopchak talked to Levy Bryant and... uh, Do I know this story? This is good. I'm I'm excited to hear Do you not know this story? I don't think I do. uh, Well, I mean, we could have just... I think because you know Joan's great like we could have just said this thing and not have talked for over an hour okay. uh, because I think that what she says like so nicely cuts through and, and makes the point that we're trying to make okay. I, I, anyway she had this conversation with Levy and I guess she said something to him that he used to be a Lacanian maybe this is why he was like very nervous when you talked to him too <laughs> okay. and 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 he bristled at this I didn't used to be I and 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 like and she said to him, I don't exactly know the the um, what letter to say. This was she said that she's an object A ontologist. <laughs> that's pretty great. That's and, pretty great. And that's and I think that's the that's the psychoanalytic position is the the you know the um, the the object 
Oh, well, you know, the master is not at home, <laughs> right? right? Like the, 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 the thing that escapes you, the thing that ex- exceeds you, um, that's the, the object and it mediates your experience and you can have no direct like apprehension or, right. or contact with it. And that's the, the object of, uh, of, of, of psychoanalysis. Right. The it's the one, the it's the one piece of the map that shapes how you see the whole rest of the map. Right. Like yeah. That's, that's really well put. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so object A ontology. That's it. Yeah. Object A ontologist. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the lesson. It's clear. It's like read Joan Kopchak, right? Like don't yeah. read, don't read object oriented ontology or, or new materialism, but read Joan Kopchak. Um, she has two great books. And although she has a new essay that's not, it's pretty new and it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's called, what is it called? The Sexual Compact? Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's really good. And then the um, uh, sexual difference on political concepts. Yeah, is a, a website. I think if you, I think it's it, maybe it's a dot com or dot org. But if you were one to Google, I've sent this to because um, I've I've had listeners write in to ask about um, some things that we quote from her, like or me specifically, that uh, psychoanalysis is a wound to thought which constantly needs to be reinflicted. And she's never written uh, that anywhere except for the description of a course. That I took with her. So you'll quote it someday, um, and you'll write "private conversation," and then people will yeah. say, "Like that's pretty <laughs> impressive writing." <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, um, I think you know what I think. I I I would feel too guilty to do that. Yeah, I'm just uh, kidding. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, no, I know. Yeah. Well, anyway, but but uh, um, that idea. She doesn't say that literally, but it's, it's pretty much in um, this this essay for political. Uh, yeah, we're one to Google sexual. Joan Kopchak, sexual difference political concepts you would find the, the the essay but we can also link it in the in the episode yeah that's too. pretty good yeah good yeah. so read read joan okay read, over yeah. <laughs> over and out ryan over and out todd <laughs>